0: Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and today we'll have Heather Simple speaking on what it means to be the church. As many of you may know, this is Heather's last message as our C12 pastor, and she will be pursuing where God is leading her next. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. All right, all right, C12. Go ahead and grab your seat back. Hey, how y'all doing? Are y'all doing okay? How have you had finals this week? Did you still finals end of the year or something? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. If you don't, uh, I'm trying to fix my mic pack. Um, some of you know him, some of you know, but you've heard me talk a lot about him. But I figure since a lot of you don't know him, and you probably won't see him again since this is my last night. Is uh, <laughs> that you, Bubba? <laughs> um, uh, That's my husband who I talk about all the time right in the back. Isn't it cute? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba calls me baby. You should know that. I feel like we should confess that. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's funny. Um. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. And tonight is actually um, going to be a little bit shorter teaching. At least that's my plan. That it'll be shorter. And so it leaves us a lot of time. We're going to worship at the end and then we get to hang out some tonight. Um, But I was thinking about what's the thing? What's the thing? And if I have a few minutes with you before, um, you know, at least the working relationship ends, what's the the thing I want to tell you? And so um, we're just going to jump right in. And I'm going to take you to a passage in the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament, a little tiny letter written by Apostle Paul. So it will be on the screen, but if you brought your Bibles like we love to do here. Look at all of y'all. Look at you with all your little print paper Bibles. I love it. In the book of Ephesians. And C12 is we embrace the table of contents, don't we? Yes, we embrace the table of contents. So if you need to look up in the table of contents where Ephesians is, you just go about two-thirds of the way into the book and you'll hit it. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 22. So Paul writes to a church in a town called Ephesus. He says, so now you Gentiles, which incidentally is all of us. We're all Gentiles. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you, us, gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So we he says we're not strangers or foreigners now all of us together we're God's people, God's family, we together are his house built on the foundation of Jesus, carefully joined together in him. We together are a holy temple. And through Jesus, we, Gentiles, are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Where the spirit lives in us as God's family, people, temple, holy place. What in the world does that mean and how did we get there? I want to walk you through, just real quick, Genesis to Revelation. And how we got there. So back in Genesis, you have Adam and Eve in the garden. You know that story, Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, ever created in all of humanity, together, the completion of humanity. And it says that God walked with them in the garden. And they lived in this place of perfection. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no nothing. Can you even imagine? No, no um, unforgiveness, no bitterness, nobody hurting you, no harm. It says that they could recognize God's footsteps with them in the garden. God with them was literal. They would live in complete um, vulnerability, completely uninhibited, completely known by God and God known by them in the garden. But then we also know that they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. The one rule, right? The one thing, don't eat the fruit, they ate the fruit and everything broke. And that's a very simplistic way of saying from that moment forward, nothing has ever been the same. That's when death and disease and suffering and pain and everything else entered. In fact, it didn't even take much time. Their very sons, Cain and Abel, there was a murder. I mean, that's how quickly the tide turned. Sin entered, and God cannot be with an unholy people. God cannot be in the presence of sin, and so there was this separation. God could no longer walk with them in the garden. So instead of God with them in the garden, it moved, if we moved into the New Testament, you go into Exodus and Deuteronomy and you go into the first five books of the Bible and then all the way up until the last book in the Old Testament called Malachi. And what you have is that God with his people moved to God in a building called the temple. It started as a tent, turned into a temple, and the people of God would come to the temple of God to meet with God. And there were all of these things you had to do and all of these rules you had to follow and there had to be a priest and the priest was sort of this person between you and God and only the priest could really go and be with God inside of a little tiny place. There's the temple and then there's like a little tiny place in the temple called the Holy of Holies and the priest could go in with God and the priest would then come out and tell the people what God said. I mean, all kinds of things. There was in the temple, God with the people. Once you left the temple... You followed a bunch of rules that would enable you then to come back into the temple to be with God. That entire system didn't work very well, as you can imagine. It sounds very confusing. It's cumbersome. Nobody could manage. If we couldn't follow one rule in the garden, for sure, we're not going to follow 613 rules, which is what existed in the law of the Old Testament. new plan was needed, 100%. So then we get to the New Testament, God with us, because see, this whole time, God's trying to repair what was broken in the garden. God couldn't be with us anymore. When well, we tried the temple building, that didn't work. So really, God needed to come be with us. Enter Jesus, who, when he was birthed, in the Bible, it says his name was Emmanuel. You know, at Christmas time we sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Okay, that's not just a Christmas song. That actually means Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was with the people. This was the answer. But Jesus was one person and he died and came back from the grave. So he defeated death, which is what entered in the garden. So that was repaired. The bridge was built. We could now be in the presence of God once again. Because what Jesus did was atone for our sins, therefore making us holy. He took our punishment. He paid our debt. He did all of that for you and for me. For God's creation so that God could walk with us through this life in the garden again. But Jesus, again, one person, says to God's people, hey, it's better now that I've done what I've come to do. It's better that I now go back to heaven and I send someone who can now literally be with every person, not just right now, but whoever is to come. And so Jesus goes back to be with heaven, and God with us is now the Holy Spirit. So God with you, with me, is the Holy Spirit. God is literally with us. In fact, it was better that Jesus went because Jesus in flesh could not be with every person in the world from then until all the rest of time. But the Holy Spirit can, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. We talked about this when we went through the Creed series. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit can be in you, around you, and over you. All the time, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit is still with you, inviting you to become one. God is with us. God moved from the garden to the temple, Jesus, and now he's with you. Why am I telling you this? Why is this a big deal? This was the radical thing that Jesus did. This was the scandalous thing. This is why everyone in that day wanted him dead. This is why they crucified him. Because they thought the temple was the be-all, end-all. And they were in control of the temple. And they could make the temple the way they wanted it to be. And they could decide who came in the temple and who went out of the temple. And who was okay with God and who wasn't okay with God. And Jesus said, guess what? It's not working. The temple is no longer where you go to be with God. You can be with God anywhere because now God came and is with you, in you, around you, and over you. And all the leaders of the temple just didn't like it. They had to relinquish control. They had to relinquish their preferences. They had to relinquish their power. The church moved from the garden to the temple, imparted and established by Jesus to you. You, me, like, we are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit we are where God dwells that passage says we are citizens of God's holy people members of his family it says we are his house we are his house built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets people who came before us Jesus is the cornerstone we are a holy temple we have been made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. It was absolutely radical and the temple moved from a building where you worship to your body where you live out your worship every day. When you realize that you are the church, when you realize this, when, and I don't mean that you hear me say it and you hear a very uh, pastoral thing. Of course, a pastor's talking about the church. Of course, why wouldn't a pastor talk about the church? When you can get past that and you can really absorb it and be open to receiving what God might have you here in this, what you understand then is how that story of God with you can play out. So in Acts chapter 3, After Jesus' return to heaven and the Holy Spirit is is now with the people, uh, John and Peter, two of the disciples, we've talked about them before, are walking to the temple one day to pray. The story's in Acts chapter 3. I'm just going to tell it to you. They're walking to the temple to pray one day. They prayed every day at 3, and they were walking there to be about God's business, to pray. But they got interrupted because as they were walking, they happened to look over at this big gate called the gate called Beautiful. And there was a man, a lame man, unable to walk, laying by the gate. And he was there every day because there was a pool there. And when the waters would stir, whoever got into the waters first would be healed. And so every day he had people carry him there by the gate, beautiful, where there were these pools in hopes that he could be in the pool and become healed. Never happened year after year after year after year. So on this particular day, when Peter and John are walking to the temple at 3 o'clock to go pray, they happen to see this man who was at the gate every day. Why on this particular day they decided to stop? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. All we know is they looked over, saw him, and looked right. It says they looked right in his eyes. This man sees them look at him. He calls them over, and he says to them, this man laying on the mat who can't walk, he says, hey, do you have money? He's begging for money, hoping for some food, thinking that's all he'll get, and that's all that he needs, and that's what will satisfy his problem for that day. Peter and John say, well, actually, we don't have any money. Y'all should know the disciples were poor, real poor. So they had no money, no change, and they said, we don't have change, but what we do have, we'll give you. And I'm sure the man in a moment thought, well, this, what is this? Like, you you don't have what I need. What can you possibly give me? The passage tells us they reached down, grabbed a hold of his right arm, specifically says his right arm, and said, Get up, get up and walk. This guy gets up, not only does it walk, but it tells us he ran around dancing and praising the Lord. And everybody was astounded at what they had seen these two men do, John and Peter. And so they started clamoring around John and Peter, saying to them, I mean, you could imagine if somebody sees someone perform a miracle, everybody's running to the people, right? going, oh, hey, I have a miracle, right? Hey, I got a little something, something I'd like you to do. So they're clamoring around John and Peter, and John and Peter say to them this phrase. Why did you think this was us? What makes you think this was us? In other words, what makes you think this was by human power? See, we've been with Jesus. We knew Jesus. We've been with God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit present in our lives. And it is because we have been in the presence of God that we can now be present with this person. Carry out the mission of God. We are the church. We are the people of God. And God's power lives within us and so we can impart that same peace and power to other people. See, when I say to you that you are the church, I'm not telling you you are the church because you're sitting in a church building. I'm telling you you are, you are Peter, you are John, you are Matthew, you are Luke, you are Mary Magdalene. You are all of these people that carried out all of these things in the Bible. And the New Testament miracles and the New Testament story was never supposed to end at the end of, John, uh, at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are still living out the gospel today. And when the Holy Spirit lives within you, you have access to that very same thing. You are the church. Now, I grew up in a church. I was a pastor's kid. And so people always think, oh, well, you grew up in a church, so that's why you love the church. And let me just tell you something. If you grew up in the church, you have every reason to never love the church. And if you've, ever, if you've grown up in the church, you might know a little bit of what I'm saying. Like if you've grown up in the church and you've seen the ugly and the dark side and the gross side and the good side, I mean the fact that you stay in church for the rest of your life says something. So I grew up in the church and I was a pastor's kid, which meant I lived in kind of a fishbowl kind of life where everybody was always looking at me um, because a pastor's kid is supposed to live this way and choose this and do this. The pastor's kids tend to go one of two ways. I went left, uh, hard left left. And so I lived a life very contrary to the things that my parents taught me or the things that certainly the church would teach. And and when I grew up in the church, it was incredibly legalistic, a lot of rules, and um, I didn't live by any of them. Because I figured in that day, when I was a part of a church that was telling me that you had to be perfect, I decided I could never be perfect, and so why even try? And so I just didn't try. But then there were these few people along the way. There are these few voices in my life along the way that decided they were going to be the church to me. For example, when I was in middle school, I had a youth pastor and his wife, and for some reason his wife would would just, she decided that um, she believed in me more than I did. And so she would speak life to me on a regular basis. She would call things out in me, meaning she would say to me, Heather, you're better than that choice you're making. You're more than just how you look. I think you're a leader. She would just say things to me along the way, and when I was diverting or making choices that um, she knew was less than the value I should know that I had, she would speak up and say something. She would invite me over, or she took me shopping. I mean, she just really took me on. as like this spiritual daughter. And she didn't have to. When a lot of people in the church looked at me and said things to me like, you are too messy to deal with. We don't know what to do with you. We don't understand the choices you're making. And they backed off. She moved in. And she was the church to me. She's still my friend today. She was the church to me. When I was in college, so... Uh, exactly where many of you are Um, I went to a small Christian university and please don't by any stretch of the imagination think that because it's a Christian university everybody's a Christian no they're not Um, so I went to a small Christian university and again I just lived however I wanted to live but they in a Christian university they made you go to chapel because it's, it's a Christian school, well, you have to go to chapel. So we had to or we couldn't graduate. And so um, one particular chapel I was in, there was a speaker on the stage. I have no idea what he was saying. I was not listening. I was probably hung over. And after chapel was over, I'm making my way out because I want to get out of there. Why am I going to stay? I don't have anything to say. I don't want to be in there. And he made a beeline for me. And he caught up with me. And I, I was about 20 years old. And he pulled me to the side and he introduced himself. And he said, hi, my name is Pastor Jimmy Johnson. And uh, what is your name? I said, my name is Heather. He said, "Uh, the Lord wants me to tell you something. The Lord wants me to tell you that you are Peter and you are going to help build his church. And I said, huh? Like, I I don't, hmm, what? Yeah, I, I. He said, my sense is that you are lost and you don't know where you're going in your life. But I'm telling you that God has placed the name Peter over your life and you are going to be part of leading his church one day. Now, I wish I could tell you that I left that room that day and went, oh, wow, I deeply received this truth. And now my life is going to be completely changed. And I'm going to go live in alignment with this prophetic word that this man has said to me. And I did not. Uh, It would be years until I did. But once I gave my life fully and completely to the Lord and desired to do what he wanted me to do, I remembered that day. I remember that day many times. I remember... I remember that day a lot. I still choose to remember that day. When things get confusing and and, and I'm not sure and I start to question and God reminds me, but don't you remember? See, that man that day didn't have to do that. He didn't have to take time out, but he came and found me and chose to be the church to me that day. He chose to go out of his way like, like John and Peter did that day to see me over there laying there. And to walk over, he chose that day to do the very same thing. Years later, after Jeff and I were married and, we were, and I was a teacher, um, Jeff was a student pastor at the church that we were a part of and I was a volunteer. And I was just so wrestling with my career and what I was supposed to be doing with my life, not understanding why I was so unfulfilled. And uh, we were in this church and I remember there was a woman there named Gail, and Gail was a pastor on staff. I had never ever seen a female pastor and she would be on stage and she would say things and she would she would speak and I remember Gail also became someone in my life that that saw me and made a beeline for me and she became a mentor in my life. And she began to pour into me and it is but through her mentorship that God called me into ministry and showed me what was possible. Because Gail took time out of her life to come off the stage and uh, recognize the church isn't about a platform and it's everything about people. And she made the difference that allows me to do what I do today. You, you are the church. Those people loved me to Jesus. Jesus. You are the church, the tent, the temple. You are the church of today and tomorrow. And I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, and I, I don't know if you're paying attention. I think some of you are because we have conversations. But in the last year, the world has changed. And I don't know that it will ever go back. I don't think it will ever go back to what it was. I think we're finding a new way forward. And guess who is going to be the generation that decides the new way forward? It's going to be you. Now, there are older generations that are telling you what the way forward is, but they won't be the way forward unless you respond to it. So, what you respond to and what you decide is really going to be what moves things forward. And what will you decide? Because the world wants you to become cynical, the world wants you to see the church as irrelevant. Even parts of of the church and God's kingdom would love to see infighting and arguing over cultural issues and who believes what and who thinks what should be what and how should church be and how should church sound and who should lead and who should not lead. And let me just so strongly encourage you, don't let anyone tell you the church is dying because it's not. Don't let anyone tell you the church is irrelevant because it's not. Don't let anyone tell you that the church is in exile or on the fringe of society because it's not. And don't let anyone tell you that whatever way they think the church should be is the way because I can promise you it's not. No one's preferences get to override God's purposes. Not a single person's, not mine, not you. So I know that a lot of you are here. And I've spoken with some of you, and some of you hadn't been in church in like 10 or 15 years until you came into C12. Somebody invited you, and you thought, you know what, I'm going to give it another shot. And you came in here, and maybe it looks a lot like a church you're familiar with, and maybe it looks nothing like what you're familiar with. I know some of your stories, and you've come in here, and you were hurt or burned, and you felt wounded in a church. And so you walked away from it, and you're here just trying to give it another shot, trying to decide what you think about this thing. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you never went. Some of you, your idea of church is stained glass windows and very formal and bowing and having no real access to God, mostly religion. And some of you have no idea how to have church or worship or do anything if the lights aren't, you know, flipping and the the music isn't loud. You just can't even function. Because the church is none of those things. It is not a location. It is not a leader. It is not a preference. It is not a style. It's you. And you've spent most of your life up until now asking for permission to do most things in your life. And I wonder if you're still waiting for permission to just be the church. You don't need permission. You don't need permission to stand for truth. You don't need permission to love people. You don't need permission to serve. You don't need permission to follow God's call in your life. You don't need to check with anybody. You don't need to get all the validation from all the people. If you know God has said it, if you know he's instructed it, if you know he's asked it, you can do it. So... That's the thing I want you to know. I want you to know that the church is incredibly broken. Parts of it are super busted up. But dang it, it's the most beautiful thing. It's the bride of Christ. It's his bride. That's, it's, like, it's like if you went to Jeff and you said, hey Jeff, I really like you. I don't like your wife. He would be like, well we are probably not going to be friends. I mean, it's just probably not going to work out. You can't love Jesus and not love his wife and not love his church. It's just not possible. It's just not. Well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. I don't need to go home to be married, but it sure helps. I'm telling you, You don't need permission to be the church. Stop waiting for it. Well, nobody's asked me. Well, why should they? You have gifts and you have talents and you have a calling and you have a destiny. You can be the church in a a cubicle. You can be the church um, in a classroom. You can be the church in the lobby of this building. You can be the church sitting in your seat right now. You can be the church in every conversation and everything you go into. You can do that. We come together because there's power in it, and there's peace in it, and there's rejuvenation and refueling in it. And because you got a lot to learn. If you don't think you have a lot to learn, wow. And in fact, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. You got a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn, and that's why we do things like this. That's why we stay connected to each other. So no matter what happens, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what, you are in a good place here. You are the church and you will decide the future. 12 Stone is an extraordinary church. In fact, when people say, well, what kind of church should I look for? I say, well, are people getting saved? Is the Holy Spirit uh, on the sidelines or is it saturating the place? Is truth spoken and is grace given? All four of those happen here. Salvation, Holy Spirit, truth, and grace. You're in a really great place. With tremendous leadership. And the transition team that is, that is now going to be leading C12 is just off the chart. Amazing. So my invitation to you and the band, you can come on up wherever you are, the invitation to you is to love the bride of Christ because you love Christ. To lean into it. To lead in it. To be it. To absorb the reality that it went from the garden to the tent and temple to Jesus to you, and that is a mantle to carry. Heavenly Father, I pray for these men and women, these sons and daughters of yours that you love so much. You love so much. And, Lord, so many of them trying to decide what it is you have for them in their future and what is it you have for them in their life, Lord. And I just pray that you would so deeply tether them to the church. That you would would give them the courage to go against the grain and to throw their anchor down into the depths of the Christian community of the church that they're part of here. I pray for just a spirit of bravery and courage and confidence, a rooted identity. When I look at this room and I look at this generation, I am so full of hope for the future of this church, for the future of the global church. There are people in this room that are going to be pastors. They're going to be pastors inside of an of an organized church. And there are people in this room that are going to be pastors in the business world, in the marketplace, in the classrooms, in the hospitals. the fire departments. And Lord, I pray that you would breathe your favor upon them. That you would just place your hand over their life and that they would never, ever, ever forget that you are with them and that you love them so much. Would you be glorified in our lives? Would you be glorified in this ministry? Would you be glorified in this church? Would the name of Jesus be lifted high? In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the C12 Podcast today. I hope you were encouraged to take up what it means to be the church. Please join us in praying for Heather as she goes into what God is calling her next and for C12 as God calls us to what is next. If you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please share this with somebody who needs to hear this message and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to learn more about College of 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12stone. Hope to have you join us next week.